This just handed to me. The following podcast is a Sand Productions production. Welcome to the Autism Warriors Podcast, Episode 2. Our topic tonight is Autism, Where's My Manual? What's Next After Diagnosis? Um, if you could visit us on our website at autismwarriors.com. Our email is feedback at sayitproductions.com. Twitter, say it prods. Um, our voicemail is 813-915-6390. We're here live every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm Erica Plourd, and I'm the mother of two children on the autism spectrum, Cassidy 9 and Garrett 7. Pam, are you there? Yes, I'm here. <laughs> are we having a we good gotta, time? We have to change that music. That is too melancholy. It, I mean, the so? whole. I the like sub- it. It is, but the subject matter, and you start thinking about autism, and then comes that music, and I was just about ready to bust out ball in here. <laughs> That's the style I wanted, though. That's the thing. That's the style I wanted, so. Anyway, yes, I'm here. I am Pam Laurie, hiding out in my son's bedroom. My son Joey is 13, and he is on the spectrum also. Okay. Well, I'd like to make a brief announcement um, uh, about how all of the internet resources and news stories will be on the website when the podcast is loaded on the Autism Warriors website. So no need to write any of these resources down. Just wait a little while after the show airs and you can easily obtain them there. Um, I thought we'd talk about our resources first. Okay. You found some resources. I found some resources. I actually found autism-pdd.net. Uh, where you can go on and sign up for a free newsletter and get two free webinars, which include Autism 101 and Effective IEP Strategies. I also found NICHCY.org, which is the National Dissemination Center for Children with Disabilities, and it will help with learning about the IEP, will help with learning about placement issues, 10 Steps in Base in Special Education, uh, Special Education Services for Preschoolers with Disabilities, Supports, Modifications, and Accommodations for Students, will help with learning the different terminology used in a PPT and on an IEP, Resolving Disputes Between Parents and Schools, Transition to Adulthood, and Assists in Finding Early inter- Intervention Services in Every State. It's a great website. Got to check it out. I also found 211 Infoline National, which is 211.org. You can go on there and click on the links to go to your state, and it will help you. You can put in keywords to find certain services within your your state. The only state that doesn't have a 211 Infoline I found was Arizona, because I went through each and every one of the states. I wonder why. I don't know. That's bizarre. But you can also dial 211 from your phone and you'll get whatever 211 office in your state on the horn. That's Mm -hmm. handy. Yep. Okay. Well, the resources I dug up for this week, uh, since we're talking about what to do right after you receive a diagnosis, like I said before, my recommendation is run, do not walk to join a local chapter of the Autism Society, which used to be called the Autism Society of America, but they dropped that, I guess, so they can expand across the globe. But that can be found at autismsociety.org. And then just go in, put in your state, and find a local chapter because you will need, trust me, you will need a real bunch of moms, dads, folks to support you on this long journey. Another resource is Autism asperger.net and that is a website maintained by Dr. Stephen Shore 
who is a famous person with Asperger's syndrome. He's a lecturer. He's an author. He's collaborated on books with Temple Grandin, who is perhaps the most famous person in the world with autism. Very good resource for everything from schooling to red flags, signs of autism, things like that. And my last one for this week is firstsigns.org. And it explains some quote-unquote red flags to watch for if you suspect that your child may be on the autism spectrum. They also have a video glossary where you can go and watch a short video of different behaviors so that if someone says to you, oh, there's your kid hand flap, you might think, well, what, what does that look like really? I mean, what kind of flapping are you talking about? You can go in here and actually watch a video of the behavior and say, oh my, yes, that does look like what Harold does or whatever. So I think that's a really good parent-friendly, a person-friendly uh, resource. Yeah, I, I visit it often. <laughs> or have visited or have visited it often. Um, in case there are people out there who do not have a diagnosis yet and don't know the red flags of autism, uh, these signs usually show in children, infants to three years old. You could see the firstsigns.org for the red flags, but I'm going to just point out a couple here. And if your baby shows any of these signs, please ask your pediatrician or family practitioner for an immediate evaluation. Uh, your baby has no big smiles or warm, joyful expressions by six months or thereafter. No back and forth sharing of sounds, smiles, or facial expressions by nine months or thereafter. No babbling by 12 months. No back and forth gestures such as pointing, showing, reaching, or waving by 12 months. No words by 16 months. No wor two-word meaningful phrases without imitating or repeating by 24 months. And any loss of speech or babbling or social skills at any age. And this information has been provided by First Signs Incorporated. Um, I wanted to talk about how you can attain birth to three services if not previously referred by a healthcare provider. I know what my experience was is I just called like 211 and I said, hey, I'd like to, I, I had already known about the birth to three program because my uh, cousin was in, uh, or her, my cousin's son was in speech and language therapy and she had mentioned to me when Cassidy was 15 months old, hey, Cassidy's not talking yet. You might want to, you know, have her evaluated through birth to three. So I already knew kind of basically what birth to three was, but I was like, wow. So I dialed 211 because I knew about the resources, the resource back then. And they referred me to my local birth to three provider. And uh, we got the evaluation done when she was like 19 and a half months old because they won't evaluate, at least in the state of Connecticut, they won't evaluate for birth to three for speech and language before 18 months, before the 18 month mark. Um, I wish I could help you with this, but with Joey, I didn't really take him for any type of an evaluation until he was about at least four. Yeah. And he was in that period in between daycare and not quite ready for school yet. Ah, uh, and yeah. Yeah, around here they call it early intervention programs. Yep. And he was he was kind of stuck in limbo. He was too old for early intervention, but he was too too old for early intervention, but too young to start school. So now in the state of Pennsylvania, do they have? And I know in the state of Connecticut, any child who is the age of three years and older is automatically eligible for educational services through the school system. I Doesn't don't necessarily mean because they we don't have public preschool, so they're not going to actually, you know, you can't say, hey, my kid's three. Can I put him in your your public preschool? No, they're not automatically going to get that. But if you have a special needs child who's three years old, they're automatically entitled to education and then they put them in a special ed program as of three years old. They find either a specialized preschool or put them in services within the school. That's what that that's what my experience was with Garrett. So I'd like to say I could comment on that, but at that point in time I was still pretty much in denial. My yeah. my daycare providers had asked me to have him tested because they believed that he wasn't hearing correctly. 
we think there's something wrong with his hearing. Can you have his hearing tested? Okay, I took him to the hospital. I had his hearing checked, and they said, no, his hearing's fine. Um, basically, they thought something was up, and I thought they were nuts. <laughs> I didn't want to hear it. I thought he was just a late bloomer, you know. And like I say, when he at four years old, they politely came to me and said, well, next year he would be eligible for our kindergarten, our licensed kindergarten here in daycare, but we don't want him. So take your stuff and get out. Nice. Is, yeah, yeah. And from that point in time, we went to another daycare uh, right across the street, a Christian daycare, and got the boot from there. Nice. Yeah. And then we went to a third daycare, and I'm about burnout. Joey's about burnout on daycares by now, you know. And after he butted his head into the stomach of a pregnant lady. Oh, my. And scared the bejeebies out of me for fear they were going to come and put him in, I don't know, toddler prison or something for assaulting this woman's fetus. I, our family just said, my husband said, that's it, enough. You're done. You're quitting. You're, you're not working anymore. You know, it's, it's stressing him out. It's stressing you out. Just quit. So I quit my job, and I stayed home with him until I was able to put him into school. So I really didn't, if there were services out there, I really didn't take too much advantage of them. But I pretty much believe that he was kind of stuck in the middle there in Pennsylvania. But I, I would certainly be corrected if someone knows different than that. Well, it's bizarre because, you know, you definitely where, you know, you think, where do I turn when I suspect there's an issue with my child? And typically you would turn to your pediatrician. But what if your pedi pediatrician tells you that your child is just a late bloomer? I got that with Cassidy. I well, she's not talking. Oh, she's just a late bloomer. Every child develops at their own pace. Listen, she's almost 18 months old and she's not talking or she, she was you know, doing all the babbling. And then at 10 months of age, she just stopped talking and she stopped eye contact. She stopped everything. So you're going to tell me that my kid's a late bloomer. She stopped this at 10 months of age. What do I do now? Yeah. You know, no, I didn't, but in the I, interim, we had switched pediatricians. So I didn't have that. He, Joey just had jargon his, his whole time. You, you uh -huh. would think, I used to say, what are you talking, German? You know, but the strange thing was he had, he would watch Blue's Clues and he would stand there looking at Steve and you know how Steve overacted everything like, hmm, what does Blue want for lunch? And the finger would go to his face and, you know, the real troubled look and Joey had it all down. Every movement, every flinch that Steve, and even the intonation, the same intonation that Steve had in his voice, Joey had. But it all came out as jargon. So I'm like, okay, he's he's getting it. He's just not forming the words correctly. You know, but when that persisted uh, up until like the age of three or something, three or four, when all he could say was cake, I was starting to think, okay, you know, something's a little shifty here, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I would see my experience was my experience was completely different than yours, where somebody said to me, it might behoove you to have Cassidy um, evaluated for speech and language delay. And I say this all the time. I say, why did I put them through speech and language therapy? Because not all they do is talk. I know. But um, we did it. She got speech and language therapy services once a week for a year and a half. And then when she turned three, they kind of booted her out of the system, said that she wasn't going to get any special education services. And then come, come to find out Garrett had, you know, all of his issues going on. Uh, and I referred him for speech and language. And then you know, the whole story we talked about last week where he ended up going for the evaluation for autism because his speech and language provider came to me and said, listen, we see some things in Garrett that might lead us to believe that he is on the autism spectrum. Okay, great. Got the diagnosis. Where's my manual? I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. They basically tell me that he has PDD-NOS, cried the whole way home. What do I do now? What what kind of resources are out there for me? And the resource I was using was the birth to three provider. The speech and language, we already had speech and language in place, already had physical therapy in place, already had occupational therapy in place. What do I do now? 
it wasn't until Cassidy got diagnosed where I was like really scared because I really didn't know what to do with her because she got diagnosed. She was almost, she was almost four. And I was like, well, what do I do? Uh, help. Um, and I actually ended up having to refer her for special education services myself because she didn't have any services already in place. It was a nightmare. And I did all this research online, just reading up about her, her thing. And then I started reading up about special. I just put an online search for special education and there you go. I, that's, and I found a letter, how to, how to refer your child for special education services, got the template, dated it, signed it, sent it to the school system. They sent back saying they would have a PPT meeting. Um, and there you go. So, but a simple internet search will find you a lot of resources. True, but you would like who you know too. You'd like to also get to know other parents. You would like to think that the diagnosing professional, whoever that might be, whether it's your pediatrician, whether it's a school psychologist, whoever you're referred to, an intermediate unit or what have you, would have some recommendations for you at that point. Okay, here, even if it's hello. I'm still here. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Did I lose you? I had you? a long pregnant pause, so I thought I lost you. Oh, no. Don't say that word. Um, no, I'm still here. I think it might have been, uh, what do you want to call it, a USB flub. Oh, okay. With the, with the mic. But if I wanted to say if your diagnosing professional doesn't at that point after – issuing that DX to you, say, this is where you can find some more help. Open your mouth and ask and say just what we're saying here tonight. What do I do now? Because I don't know. You know, there's no, there's no shame in admitting that. And if they don't tell you, well, then shame on them. That's shame how I Shame on feel. them because they should have some sort of yeah. referral service. Okay, well, this is what we're going to do now. And, you know, my pediatrician was totally not even aware of the fact that I was having my children go to the child study at UConn and getting the diagnosis. They found out after the fact. Yeah, you I had always I had on. the child the the people that diagnosed the kids send the evaluation paperwork to my pediatrician. Kind so. of reverse. Yeah, it would kind of reverse. They didn't yeah. refer for anything because they didn't even know that the kids were in birth to three. <laughs> well, that's whatever. why I'm that's just why dealing. I say, run, do not walk to the local chapter of whatever you can find, whether it be Autism Society of America, Autism Speaks, what, whatever is local and in your area. And that is where you the, – the mothers, the fathers will just – help you so much it's unbelievable yeah they'll you know, embrace you and they'll they'll help you they'll help yeah, you out you need to do x y and z even if you don't be afraid to admit you don't know anything about this or i don't believe this or i don't understand this or why is this my kid or any of those first shock type of things you will not be laughed at you will not be uh thought to be stupid insofar as your knowledge of autism you will not be pointed the finger at and say oh this one she's in denial no they don't do that they will help you that's why those organizations exist so please make make use of them exactly and i think once the uh, the diagnosis is obtained you really need to familiarize yourself with idea Individuals with Disabilities and Education Act. And you could find that information at idea.ed.gov. And I have here, what's the what's IDEA's definition of a child with a disability? IDEA lists different disability categories under which a child may be found eligible for special education and related services. These, um, these categories are autism at the top, of course, of course, I think they did this alphabetically. Mm -hmm. Deafness, deaf blindness, developmental delay, which is also, you know, can be considered autism. Emotional disturbance, hearing impairment, mental retardation, multiple disabilities, orthopedic impairment, other health impairment, specific learning disability, speech or language impairment, 
traumatic brain injury, visual impairment, including blindness. And I just wanted everybody to note that in order to fully meet the definition and eligibility for special education and related services as a child with a disability, a child's educational performance must be adversely affected due to the disability. This does not mean that the child is failing in class. It merely means that the child's disability adversely affects his learning in the classroom. For example, my son, when he started kindergarten, um, he was already in special ed preschool, but they didn't have him in anything during the summer. So when he started in kindergarten, it was a huge transition for him. And he started, he was another one that got kicked out of daycare because they couldn't control him. But, <laughs> and I had a nervous breakdown about it and uh, called a PPT meeting. And I said, listen, Garrett's having a hard time at daycare. They said, well, he's having a hard time at school. He can't stand the noise. It's too loud. There's too many people. He's hitting. He's biting. He's kicking. He's scratching. He's throwing things. Or he'll be in the kindergarten classroom. He'll be off by himself reading a book about fish because that's Garrett's stitch is or whatever. That's his thing is fish. So he'd be off in the corner when they're supposed to be doing circle time, you know, so they also saw a need for him to go to a specialized program because his di his disability was adversely affecting his learning in the classroom. He was not, he needed to be in a restrictive environment as opposed to a non-restrictive environment. And he was in a non-restrictive environment at the beginning of kindergarten. And within, within a month of him being in kindergarten, they moved him over to an autism program at a different school, had him in the restrictive environment. And he, within a month or two, got moved back to a non-restrictive environment. And he has come a long way. He Erica, maybe you would, maybe if you could elaborate on the terms restrictive and non-restrictive environments for those that don't restrictive, well, restrictive is such environment, a well restrictive environment it sounds it's yeah it sounds scary but basically what they do is they take the kids that are special needs they put them into a smaller classroom a little less you know maybe five or six kids in the classroom and they have more individualized uh a person there that's going to give them the attention that they need to get through their work. They're not getting any, it's, it's just like a regular classroom. They're still getting the work. They're still getting, um, homework. They're still getting, you know, special time, you know, arts and crafts and all that stuff, but it's all in one room. Yeah. I just, Whereas that's non-restrictive classroom. It's just like a normal classroom. Yeah, I just wanted to elaborate on that because that that's a scary word, restrictive. Um, it just, well, yeah, he, it's a scary he, word. Believe me, he needed to be, it's a scary word. And for him at that time, it was scary for him and me. I mean, he needed to be at times restrained because he would get so violent that he would kick and hit and pull people's hair and, and bite and spit and bite himself. So he would need to be restrained in a chair. They actually had restraints for oh, him because they were afraid that he would hurt himself. So, but we've come uh, way a long way since then. Thank God. Really? But by the same token, I know there's a passage, uh, some wording somewhere. Isn't that really specific where our our children are to be given the opportunity to be in school in the quote unquote least restrictive environment that meets their needs so the the term restrictive obviously if Joey is in a class of 6 and for him he can function best and that's the least restrictive situation for him whereas your son now might be able to function well in a 15 or 20 child classroom he is entitled to that option as opposed exactly. to being, being kept in a six six kid classroom like Joey is so and they're that's always what they did they graduated him they said okay right now this is this is what is least restrictive for him. It's not going to adversely affect his learning. He's still going to learn. Um, but they slowly transitioned him back mm -hmm. to the, 
normal classroom where he had an aide that went with him every day, made sure he had his work. If he had any tantrums, they'd bring him out into the hall. He still had to do his work. And he learned very quickly that he liked to be around his friends. So he, he learned very quickly to behave himself, which was good. But uh, definitely once, once you familiar, I, yourself, familiarize yourself with IDEA, you want to contact your local school dr- district as soon as possible um, and know that you can refer for special education services for your child. You can find out what programs are available at the school. And like I already said, most states allow for a free and appropriate education for any child age three and up. Uh, You want to, okay, the biggest thing about any type of special education is you want to learn the terminology in special education services. (laughs) And it never ends. (laughs) And it never ends. And they give you paperwork every time you go to a PPT meeting that you could wallpaper your entire house with. Every time you go to a PPT meeting, they give you the, whatever they're called. I'm like, I don't want them. Please, I I have enough. You know, but what is a PPT? Basically, what a PPT is, it's your planning and placement team. Up here, we call them PPT meetings. I know down there, you call them IEP meetings. Yeah, we also have something else called an ISPT, inter-service provider team. Or I mean, it's it's like alphabet soup, let's face it. I mean, it, it is. It just IEP, you know, OT, SLP, PDD, you know, so be prepared that pretty soon your vocabulary will just be full of all these little acronyms and you'll be yakking away to other Audi moms and people will look at you like, what the heck are you talking about? What's a, you know, but age in my life and my son's 13, I had to ask Erica, what the heck's a PPT? I never heard of it. You know, it's so. basically the PPT, the acronym is Planning and Placement Team, and that's that's your people that sit at the round table. You got your school psychologist, you got your um, uh, school principal, you got your child's teacher, you got any people that are involved in any of the services. If he's involved in speech and language, the speech and language pathologist will be there, the occupational therapist will be there, um, resource room people are there. Uh, sometimes they'll invite the aides to come to the meeting and they're all there to talk about the IEP. Now, what is an IEP? (laughs) (laughs) IE, therefore IP. No, it stands for Individualized Education Program or or alternatively called an Individualized Education Plan. Uh It's a legally binding document that spells out exactly what special education services your child will receive and why. It will include your child's classification, placement, services such as one-on-one aid and therapies, academic and behavioral goals, a behavioral plan if needed, percentage of time in regular education, and progress reports from teachers and therapists. The IEP is planned at an IEP or in my state, PPT meeting. The the individualized part of IEP means that the plan has to be tailored specifically to your child's special needs, not to the needs of a teacher or the school or the district. Goals, modification, accommodations, personnel, placement, all should be selected, enforced, and maintained with the particular needs of your child in mind. We don't do that, for example, is not an individualized response. I got that. Oh, we don't do that? Yeah. Oh, I got the, I don't, we don't do that. We don't do that at the beginning of the year because Garrett had gotten, I think I talked about this last week, Garrett had gotten suspended from school for poking a girl in the eye with a pencil, not Mm -hmm. with a pencil, but with a paperclip. I said, oh, emergency PPT meeting, because obviously he doesn't know his boundaries, he did not purposely, and he, he was very, you know, I had a conversation with him, and I was able to talk to him, and I said, show me how you showed this girl the paperclip. He said, I was just showing her the paperclip, and he got really close to my face, and I'm like, Garrett, you can't do that. Okay. You can't get, so I called the school, and I said, I want a PPT meeting because I wanted them to place an aide in the classroom with him that would deter him from any type of behaviors like that. They said, we don't do that. And I said, that's crap that they, that you don't do that. 
you have to individual. That's why they call it an individualized education plan. It's not an identical education plan. Not every kid's going to have the same, you know, accommodations. You need to accommodate his need. He needs an, an aid with them. And they said, no, we'll see what we can do. We'll, we'll probably modify the behavioral plan or we'll have him go to the resource room or we'll have him go to more psych, psych services at the school. And I was like, okay, I'll back down a little bit. Let's see how the next few months go and maybe we can reconvene. Do you know that Garrett gets an aid now every afternoon because he's at his worst in the afternoon? It's like he holds it all in until the uh -huh. end of the day and he can't take it anymore. So they have an aide go to his classroom every day just for him. Well, it kind of panned out, basically. But I that's always, basically what an IEP is. Not to, not to down all schools or all school personnel or administrators or school districts, but folks will realize that this now becomes the challenge of your life, getting what you need for your child, trying to maintain your sanity and doing so. I have an IEP. And there's a reason for that. It's because sometimes, and like I say, in not all situations, like Erica said, you'll, you'll get that answer. We don't have that. We can't do that. We don't feel he needs that. Uh, we don't have enough people to do that. But this is where you, you start to learn to dig and dig and dig and ask questions and find out from people that know and, and find out from more people that know what your child's entitled to. And I think we're going to go into that more next week, Erica. Yes, yes. definitely. That more next week. That's our cliffhanger. More next week. Yeah. <laughs> um, one other thing I wanted to talk about was a 504 plan. Um, this is the plan put in place in which the child does not qualify for special, edu special education services and is functional but still needs reasonable accommodations in the classroom. My daughter Cassidy's on a 504 plan. And the 504 plan refers to Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act and the Americans with Disability Act. A 504 plan spells out the modifications and accommodations that will be needed for the student to have an opportunity to perform at the same level as their peers. And for my daughter, it includes frequent breaks. Um, she also, uh, if she needs to, she's able to go down and visit the school psychologist and pretty much that's pretty much all that's written into her 504 plan. She just needs some calming downtime at times. Yeah. But like you said, I was not aware of this. I didn't know the difference. There, there's so many differences and nuances in the different laws and regulations that, a parent needs to familiarize themselves with because as your child changes, as you had said, your daughter may have needed something under an IEP or a PPT earlier, but now she falls under or maybe your son falls under the 504. So you have to know that just because one, one thing stops, something else may be able to take its place legally yeah. and continue to help your child. She never, well, when she was in kindergarten, she had an IEP, but within two months, within two months, they took her off of special education services. And I didn't really pursue it because I didn't know what the heck I was doing back then. Um, but that's okay because yeah. now, now she's doing well and, you know, I had to put her into psych therapy outside the whole, outside of the school system. And she goes to psych therapy within school system and, you know, we've had our ups and downs over the past couple of years, but she's doing well. Uh, it was funny because I went, I remember specifically, I went to her, it was, she was in second grade and at the beginning of her second grade year, they had, they had just hired a new teacher in the school and they were moving a teacher from fourth grade down to the second grade classroom, but it was going to take a couple months. So she had a, like a substitute for two months and then the new teacher came down and this, and I finally met her at the parent teacher conference in October. And she said, I have a question. I have some concerns about Cassidy. Uh, 
I noticed that she has trouble transitioning from one task to another or transitioning from doing a task to going to art or doing uh-huh. a task to going to the library. She gets very upset. And the only thing that calms her down is if I let her squeeze my hand. She said, is your daughter on the autism spectrum or do you think she might be on the autism spectrum? I said, didn't you get the paperwork? <laughs> Are you kidding me? You guess didn't get, not. Guess she didn't get the paperwork from the last school because she had second grade. We moved from one town when she was in first grade and then she was at one school and then we moved to the other side of town. And I guess all the paperwork didn't get to the other side of town. Obviously. So, yeah, obviously. But she's she's by the end of the school year she's like you know Cassidy's not in any any special education services but I really think she needs a 504 plan okay so that was the the next parent teacher conference that we had she's like I'm I'm gonna get you know the principal together we're all gonna get together and we're gonna write up a 504 plan for Cassidy because she needs this you know she gets upset she comes up to me she knows she can squeeze my hand and that calms her down and she can go back to her desk and do her work. Yeah, so these are all different things people will run into in their in their journey here. Familiarize yourself, get on the internet. Obviously, that's the best source for info these days and read until your eyeballs fall out because that's what you're going to have to do to to be up, to be in the know, to know what your child is entitled to is basically what it comes down to. That's right. Either that or you know some you find a friend that knows yeah that knows a lot. I actually um have advocated for par- for other parents in this school system and have gone in to to PPT meetings for other with other parents and they look at me because I'm in full on dress, you know, full on business suit. <laughs> I'm not a business suit wearer because I don't have a real job, but I put a business suit on and I scare the living daylights out of the, that planning and placement team because when I went with one parent, she's like, they're never going to give me what I want. I want my daughter to have summer program. I don't care if we come out of there with nothing else, but she has to have a summer program. Okay. And, at, and they just looked at me like, what is this woman doing here? I didn't give them a title or anything. I just said, my name's Erica Plort. I'm here to support. Yeah, that's all you have to do. Katie Jones in, you know in this PPT meeting, you know, and she started crying. Okay. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, what do we do here? And they're like, okay, well, we're going to convene the meeting. Da, 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 da. I said, Annie Jones, don't you remember what you wanted for Susie? You wanted, you wanted summer program where we did we haven't discussed summer program yet. Yeah. What, what's in place for the summer? And they were like, you know, stumbling over their words and, she was like, I've got to bring you to every single one of my PPT meetings. I've never gotten what I wanted, and you got me what I wanted. I'm like, hey, it's just it, experience. It's very what's, – what's the word I'm looking for? Intimidating? It is. Uh, your first couple are very intimidating. It's the typical oval table, and there's eight of them and one of you. And they – usually they the, – the people on the team – can spew the jargon and talk the talk because they do it every day. And it's very uh, intimidating. You feel like they want you to know that they know everything and you know nothing. But do not ever forget you know your child better than anyone. You may not know the technical terminology. You may not know the jargon, the labels for it, what have you. But you know your child better than anyone else. And you must persist. You must insist like for this woman, what you want for your child, because you're in a meeting, time passes, boom, it's time to go. We're out the door. I have to go to a meeting. I have to go to a conference. The papers are signed and you walk out and you think, oh my God, I, I didn't get, they didn't listen to me. I didn't. So take someone with you, you know, take someone with, take someone with you, but also write yourself a list of to do a to-do list or some sort of list of what you want for your child. It could be handwritten. It could uh-huh. be chicken scratch. It could yeah. be on a little post-it note, tie a thing around your finger. So you remember exactly what you want. Now, when I'm in a PPT meeting, I take notes. 
on everything everybody says. But that's where that's something we're talking about next week. Yeah, so, we're we're di- we're going we're off on a tangent. We have to go on to our random news stories. Random news stories. Okay. Random news stories. Um, <laughs> I found one about an autism friendly dining in Del Mar, or San Diego. Uh, Sergio Gonzalez is happy that a Denny's restaurant in Del Mar is offering a special dining opportunity for families with autism. He likes to take his daughter, Sophia, out to eat, but she is, it says it's not always as easy. You know, we, we know this as autism parents. We know it's not always easy to take our children out. They may behave. They may, they may not behave. We don't know. And so it's not always that, that easy. You can't predict whether or not your child is going to behave appropriately like a normal child would but uh apparently denny's in san diego is um offering service for children with autism you know for parents and families that have somebody on the autism spectrum i thought that was pretty cool okay what do they do like stick you in a corner what do they do that's Special. I'm looking. I'm I'm reading. I'm reading. (laughs) It doesn't really say much. It's just being changed. Like he's the manager. This guy, Robert Stang, Stang or Stange, he's the manager at Denny's restaurant in Del Mar. Stange said he was inspired to do something about autism from watching the news. I had seen a news segment about a restaurant in New York that had a night set aside for children with autism and their families. And I just thought that was a really great idea. So on January 23rd, 2011, Denny's in Del Mar became the first and so far only restaurant in the county to designate a part of their restaurant to autism-friendly dining. They designate one part of the restaurant. Yeah, they stick them in a corner. Well, yeah, that's okay. I mean, that's okay in that. As long as you know you're being stuck in there for a reason. Uh, insofar as the wait staff might be a little more accommodating or a little more patient or, or just plain uh, friendlier, educated as to if the folks come in tonight and ask about autism night, we're asking if they'd like to sit back here in the, uh, the booth area. And if they say yes, you know, please know that someone in their party has autism and, Try to help them out as best, you know, just so they have a little bit of education as to who you are. And like the guys I have up here at Mickey D's, I have them trained. They, oh, they are Joey trained. You know, I just go through the drive through and I say two large fries and a boom, the whole order comes up on the screen. You know, I get the same thing every day. And uh, it it's a big weight off my mind, you know, that they know who we are, that sometimes we're not having a good day and that they shouldn't look at us, you know, cross-eyed. So that's cool. It is cool. I thought so too. There's not a, I mean, it's hard to find, you know, autism friendly restaurants. Anything. Anything. Um, I found one uh, from the Mayo Clinic weighing in on restrictive diets for autism. We find a lot of people, well, I found a lot of people talking about gluten free and casin, is it casin free? Gluten free, casin free diet for autism. And this Dr. Jay Hoker, emeritus consultant for the Department of Pediatric and Adolescent Medicine, stated that there was no evidence that special diets are an effective autism treatment and that restrictive diets can lead to nutritional deficiencies. Ooh, you're going to have some feedback on that one. Oh, I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure. There was actually feedback at the bottom of the uh, at the bottom of the news blurb. Yeah. Um, thanks in large part to a lack of autism awareness, there are many alternative treatments and therapies, including the GCFC diet that desperate parents seek out and end up being more harmful than helpful. Any home brewed diet based on lack of evidence should not be used haphazardly. Basically, they're saying that a professional nutritionist or doctor should be overseeing any type of diet being used on a child on a regular basis. So basically, they're saying don't just go and start gluten gluten-free, casin-free diet for your child, you need to bring that child to a nutritionalist, a dietitian, and you need to be educated on how to administer that diet. That's all they're saying. I guess that's good preventative advice, but I don't think, trust me, with what my son eats, I don't, 
if I had a child that I could, if I could put him on a gluten-free, casein-free diet, he would be eating better than what he's eating now. So I think they're a little, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure you'd have GFCF parent, parents that would say, my kid eats a full realm of, of foods, vegetables, fruits, um, dairy substitutes, wheat substitutes, and is, is fully getting the full nutritional you know, realm of foods. That- well, what this woman said, she has a son who's on, on the spectrum, and she said that she too tried the gluten-free, casein-free diet for her son, and ironically enough, his healing began when he she ended the diet and put him back on milks, yogurts, Happy Meals, Pediasure, and Ensure. Huh? So, well, hey, to each his own. To each his own. It might it, tit for tat, you know. It might work for one kid, and it might not work for another yeah. kid. It's, Just like all, you put ten autism kids in a room, they're not going to show all the same symptoms. Not all of them are going to be hand flapping, you know. So, yeah, I hey. just thought that was a little, a little bit of interesting huh. stuff. Then I found one entitled "Teaching Parents New Tricks." Parenting workshop focuses on positive to change behaviors. It's another one of those, you know, self-help guru type things like parents everywhere. This person would get frustrated with, with his children, especially the teenagers. And it seems like there was a constant battle with the siblings antagonizing one another. Um, This person's oldest son has Asperger's syndrome, which is on the autism spectrum leading to even more challenge challenges and basically basically they're saying you know uh, uh, certain uh, uh, behavioral modifications and focusing on the positive as opposed to the negative is going to help your child okay. develop better so just just different parenting parenting tips but it's it's all about um, a workshop so Okay. I thought it was. I thought it was interesting, but then I was like, you know what? This is kind of, kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Not self. Well, self-explanatory. Yeah, self-explanatory. Common sense. You know. So, but those are my my little news blurbs. Okay. Well, this week I found this piece out of the New York Times. Uh, ASD kids run coffee shop, and this cool. is. The more I read about things like this, I want to do this. I want to do one of these. I want to start a work model for our kids because they, they're going to need it. And it just says two students, Jose Villar and Collins Darqua, sell coffee and pastries from the shop at Woodrow Wilson Middle School. The teacher came up with the idea. The kids are in a special class for children with autism or multiple learning disabilities. And they're charged with running the coffee shop every Friday morning. Uh, they set up in the home ec room. They have rung up more than $1,000 worth in sales of coffee, tea, donuts, cookies, and cupcakes to the staff since October. Coffee shop was the teacher's idea. She saw it as uh, an opportunity to have them work on their life skills beyond the classroom. The overall goal, goal here is to make the kids functional members of society. It's outside the box which you have to be with this kind of program. The proceeds go to help the kids pay for things like uh, field trips and whatnot. But I would just love to start something like this, uh, any kind of model, a work model. I'm, I'm constantly out looking. I asked my husband a couple of weeks ago how much it would cost to rent a small office space because we have kids in our chapter that are good writers. And I, I want to start a, a paper, a newspaper run for by, written by, folded by, labeled by our kids. You know, That's so a great they, idea. And rotate them through the, the job skills. You know, okay, this week you're a writer. This week you're a delivery guy. You know, the whole schmageggy. I think that is the way to go for these guys. They need, um, they need to be into that now. Start them now on something like that. So I was really very pleased to find that article. And now... I've lost my show notes, so what's my next? Uh, I'll go to the next positive one. This was from the Chapel Hill News, and Temple Grandin was going to speak in Chapel Hill. I'm pretty sure Chapel Hill's in Virginia. 
but uh, the name, I think, I don't know. I'm not from down there. I think it's Virginia. Uh, it was it was entitled. We'll hey, it's probably in Alaska. My luck, but uh, you know, I was saying she's going to come on the campus and her her background, and it was hard for her to get into the cattle industry since she was a woman and she had to endure, you know, smart comments and things of that nature. But she said particularly that she feels it's very important that our kids are given the opportunity for the electives like shop and art and music and things like that because that's where their particular talents come out and those talents like her talent was working with animals which has become her lifelong study and work would have never been discovered in the the regular classroom so she's a big proponent of getting them into some kind of a hands-on class where their talents are, are utilized as opposed to just one plus one equals two. And the last one, I, I basically picked this because I was kind of insulted by it. And it it flashes back to an older autism day. Uh, the title of the article was Monkey Behavior May Provide Clues to Autism. And it was in sciencemag.org, tells the story of how researchers uh, did a study on the macaque monkey uh, and studied how much time the macaques, the macaque mother monkeys spent looking into the eyes, staring into the face of the infant monkeys, and that this was directly related to how the baby monkeys developed. Uh, to quote the article, neural development is retarded because of a lack of maternal infant stimulation, says Bruce McElwain, a, a neuroscientist at Rockefeller University in New York City. In the macaques, the reciprocal interaction between mother and infant is critical for normal brain behavior development and socialization. So basically they're saying... Uh, pretty much what I believe Bruno Bettelheim said back in the, the dark ages that it's the refrigerator mom monkeys that are, that are nope. turning, yep, turning their all... kids autistic. You know, the poor autistic monkeys weren't weren't uh, played with enough when they were little. And Le Leo Canner. Leo was it Canner or Bettelheim? It, was, it was Canner in, in the 1940s, refrigerator mothers. Yeah. Refrigerator mother guy? Okay, well, there you we're, have it. We're, we're all cold, heartless. Refrigerator monkeys, so, you know, but I felt <laughs> I don't quite know how to, you know. So they're saying, okay, if, if this is true, if it's true in primates and it's true in humans, then what they propose to do is study infants smaller infants like maybe 12 months to see if they are imitating the mother you know the what they see in the mother's face and that that might be uh what do i want to say a precursor to an autism diagnosis but i kind yes, of felt because all i did was let my let my children lie on the floor and do nothing yeah really i never play with I my kids i never played with my kids i was watching a soap I, I was too busy eating or yeah sleeping working. yeah yeah sleeping working i don't know uh, anywho, those that are my your for the week. Well, well so what happened with you this week? Oh, what happened with me this week? Yeah, oh, this week. Oh, the, oh, my week. Well, Garrett's with his father, and he's been with his father since Sunday, so it's been a quiet couple days. <laughs> Nobody's fighting. I mean, Cassidy still has her little attitude problem, but it's not as pronounced. What's the deal about him not being allowed to bring his transition object, objects to school? Um, well, see, that's the thing. Two years ago when he was in kindergarten and we – he used to bring a fish. A fish? Why stuffed. am I not surprised? Okay. <laughs> a fish-stuffed animal to school. A squished fish, as Joey would call it. Okay. And he would bring his little stuffed animal. One day it would be a whale. The other day it would be like – I don't know, a dolphin. Okay. And we transitioned him out of that by first grade. No, you're not allowed to bring toys to school. But apparently, 
kids in his second grade class have been bringing toys to school. Okay. So now he's like, mom, I can bring my toys to school. So for, for a couple months there, he was bringing a toy to school every day. Okay. And the teacher's like, I guess that his teacher was out on a leave of absence. When she came back from her leave of absence, Garrett comes walking home off the bus with this huge, huge bag giant, of toys. <laughs> no, it was a huge green fish. Okay. Oh. That was his big reminder that he can no longer bring toys to school. A huge and he has green. a huge green. I mean, the, it was almost as big as he was. The teacher made it a point to give him a huge green fish and said, this is the last toy you'll be bringing home to mom because you're not allowed to bring toys to school. Okay. And I'm fine with that. I'm totally fine with that. Okay. I felt bad for Garrett because, you know, he he likes his transition objects. They make him feel warm and fuzzy and they make him feel at home. But he also has to learn he can't have those transition objects all, all the time. So. Okay. Was kind of like a little bit of a battle the next day on the way to school, but you know, choke gag and get over it, kid. You're going to school without the transition object. Mommy oh will be. He goes, Mom, can you babysit it for me? Okay. okay. The I'll big babysit. fish. I'm babysitting the big green fish. The big fish. Yeah. Poor kid. Cassie's been being bossy, her normal bossy self, but we're still working on it. She goes to her group therapy. She seems to enjoy it. And then we also have her individual therapy. And she also sees the school psychologist because of some of her, uh, I don't want to say self-harm. She hasn't harmed herself, but she's threatened to harm herself. Okay. So, yeah, she's getting into that. The world oh, hates my. me. Everybody hates me. I want to hurt myself mode. So, okay. But the last week it's been, you know, Garrett's with his father since Sunday. So I'm like, yeah, I'm mellow. <laughs> it's called respite. Respite. That's what the word I was looking for. Respite. In the respite. Yeah. yeah. I've never had a respite. I'm sorry. Uh, well, this week, Joey's class went bowling. Which is cool, you know. I I think any time they can get out of the class, I'm all for it. And the bus driver rode him up again. Again. I, I'm going to get like a three-ring binder and, and bind these things. And when it's all said and done, I'm going to turn it into like a little mini, mini novel or something. But uh, one day as she dropped him off and was, it was speaking to me about this situation, she said, Oh, my God, you better get him. And I turned around, and here goes poor Joey up the driveway with his sweatpants down to his knees. <laughs> and I go flying up. <laughs> Dude, what are you doing? And he said, my butt was sweaty. <laughs> so there, there's your typical example, folks, of lack of social skills. It, you know... I don't care what the world thinks about my butt. I don't care if the, the car is lined up in front of our house waiting for the school bus to see my butt. My butt is sweaty. And I'm <laughs> going to do something about it. And obviously it's 32 degrees out here. So if I expose it, it won't be sweaty anymore. It's very <laughs> logical. Socially it stinks, but, you know, it, it was logical. So that was, you know, slouching your pants literally in the driveway. And... Uh, then the teacher gave him, here we go with the objects, the school thing, you know, to try and calm the bus driver and everybody. They gave him a, what you call it, a Viewmaster on the bus. And it was a SpongeBob Viewmaster. Oh, gold. Yeah, couldn't have just been stinking red, white, or blue. It had to be freaking SpongeBob. So, of course, when the bus pulled up, he didn't want to relinquish it. He didn't understand that he had to give it back to Miss Bus Driver until tomorrow. Again, wouldn't get off the bus. The cars are backing up. You know, they're probably going to send a state cop here at bus time, you know, to direct the traffic around the bus. And he was very upset, got off the bus, smacked me a couple ones in the head, uh, dropped the F-bomb about 50 million times and at 50 million decibels so that the sheep down the street heard it. Uh, so that was my week. Oh, fun, fun, fun. That was my week. 
That was you my had week. A fun week. Yeah. Yeah. And it only gets better from here. Oh, from what I hear, yeah. So. Well. Anyway, what will we be talking about next week? Navigating and or referring for special education in your school system. Okay. Well, Pam, I'd like to thank you for co-hosting with me tonight. Oh, my pleasure. My Once pleasure. again, well, it's always my pleasure. Well, if it was torture, we wouldn't do it, would we? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I know. But anyway, uh, remind everyone. <laughs> I'm no. I'm. I just had like a complete brain fart. <laughs> This is what, what happens to us autism mothers. Yep. We get, we get <laughs> shell shock. Anyway, um, remember our email feedback at sayitproductions.com. We need all the feedback we can get. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> we also have a voicemail, 813-915-6390. Website, if you go to the website, we have all of the links discussed tonight to the different websites posted on the site. If you listen to or download us from iTunes, please don't forget to rate the quality of our show. Our Cat- producer cares. Our producer, our producer really cares. cares. Yeah. <laughs> Catch us live at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Tuesday. Thank you for listening to the Autism Warriors podcast. See you next week. <laughs>